Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great movies, so many great conversations. But it's a lot of work. Producing this show week after week does require a lot behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. We had some great films in Season 8 that started their lives as books or plays, and you can find all of them on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. That's the site where listeners can find links to purchase all the source material behind the adapted films we covered from season one up through our current season. For part of season eight, we had a series celebrating the 50th anniversary of films from 1968. We talked about 2001 and 2010 for our Odyssey series, both adapted from Arthur C. Clarke's novels. Man, the second one was so much better than the first, right? Don't you even get me started. <sighs> Need I bring up Under the Cherry Moon again? Yes, also so much better. <laughs> wait, wait, no, that's not what I... <sighs> Planet of the Apes kicked off its series based on the novel by Pierre Boulet. We covered Danger Diabolic and The Detective, adapted from novels for our 1968 crime films. Wait, wasn't that The Detective the prequel to Die Hard? They were both written by Roderick Thorpe, and yes, it's the same character in the books. I can't believe they even asked Sinatra if he'd be in Die Hard. That would have been yeah. weird. <laughs> Uh, Once Upon a Time in America was part of our Leone Once Upon a Time trilogy, adapted from Harry Gray's novel. And we looked at 1968 Best Picture nominees The Lion in Winter, Rachel Rachel, Romeo and Juliet, and Oliver! We also had an Ingrid Bergman series with adaptations like Spellbound, For Whom the Bell Tolls, Murder on the Orient Express, and Gaslight. We haven't talked about Gaslight. Stop gaslighting me! <laughs> Dive deeper into these books and more adapted films at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every purchase supports the podcast. Get the full list of adaptations that we've covered on all the Next Real family of podcasts and start your next read today at thenextreel.com slash originals.
This is The Next Reel, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hey, hey, hey. And we spoil movies. Tonight on the show, we visit Stromboli, Land of God, to hang out with our friend Ingrid in this 1950 love letter to post-war struggle and active volcanoes. You know, Pete, if it's one thing I learned from this movie, yeah, it's Stromboli. It's not Stromboli. I've always had Stromboli because I've had Strombolis to eat. I've yeah. never been to the island of Stromboli. I certainly don't want to visit now after having seen the movie. <laughs> It's like just visiting a volcano. It it's doesn't sound real, like fun at all. The real but, sweetheart north of Sicily. Uh, yeah, but it's actually Stromboli. Stromboli. I am thrilled to know that now. And now I, when I order, I will feel so much more authentic. This is the I thing I worry about. If you're going to ask for a Stromboli, they're not going to know what to bring you. So you can be like a big shot, but they're going to bring you like a fried squirrel. <laughs> everybody knows it is Stromboli. That's, isn't that what? It is. <laughs> it's actually ferret. As as right after it's <laughs> eaten a rabbit. Ferret rabbit stew. <laughs> it's like the turducken of northern Italy. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, this is a that's a great way to start the show. We are talking about Stromboli, uh, full title Land of God, uh, which I I think is important. Uh, a thing that got lopped off when it was released uh, here. Why uh, we we've got to talk a little bit about why we're doing this series? We are talking about Ingrid Bergman, uh, our our dear friend and colleague. And this is this is our introduction, uh, as you teased last week. This is our introduction to Italian neorealism, uh, with the uh, thanks to the uh, hand of director uh, Roberto Rossellini. The hand of Rossellini and the fingers of all of our uh, Patreon voters who uh, they they picked the films of this series. And this is one that they wanted us to talk about. But as we heard from at least one of them, I only voted on this one because of the food. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so clearly not everybody exactly knew what they were voting for when they picked this one as as one of the films for us to discuss. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because that certainly was the the sentiment echoed by at least one of our our patrons. Uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, I've I've been reading some of the reviews. Even Criterion says, you know, this is a remarkable depiction of uh, depiction of fishermen's lives and work with a deeply felt melodrama. Stromboli is a revelation. It is a revelation. So I ask you, Andy, was this film a revelation to you, or was it? simply a reminder that you are hungry. <laughs> well, anytime we hear the word, of course I'm hungry. I mean, it <laughs> just is very simple. Happen. It's chemistry. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it's like that and that or calzone. Which one do I pick? <laughs> okay. I, um, I, I feel like you're setting me up because I already know where you landed as far as this movie goes. <laughs> I kind of really liked it. I, I wouldn't say it's something that uh, is immediately going to be on my rewatch list, but I found it to be a really interesting film. I was pretty much engrossed the whole time. I loved the story. I loved the realism. I loved the kind of these characters and this journey that they're taking. It's a really interesting one uh, to depict as as painful and tortured as it is. Um, I, by the time we get to the ending, I found it went down a road I wasn't exactly expecting, and I, I feel like it it 
I, it lost some points for me. I get where the filmmaker was going and what he was trying to do with the story, but it just didn't work as well for me. But largely, I kind of liked it. Yeah, and and you know what's funny, Andy? Like I know you've you've read ahead, uh, so you are cheating. You know my notes, and you have cheated. But I'm going to surprise you, and I'm going to tell you that in spite of the fact that I have a rant coming. Oh, I have a rant coming. Uh, I actually really kind of liked it, too. I liked the experience of the film. And and as you will note from my notes, the Italian realism part is a double-edged sword, right? I mean, this is the, the whole idea of using, you know, townspeople as the townspeople uh, is at some points in the film sort of tortured and and hard to watch. Uh, and other sequences, major sequences in this film, I think, are the high points of this film where we actually see, uh, you know, the workaday life of these people. It's hard to watch in places. It's hard to watch because it, it gives you that sense, that sort of visceral, emotional sense of, of, at least for me, just how far away I am from this world both in time and in space. Uh, and it's, it, it is a challenge to face some of that stuff. And I really enjoyed that experience of it, Pete says, I'm sure, surprising Andy, uh, <laughs> which I found very strange. I really, I, I, I did. It was a strange experience. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the grittiness of it. The lights and darks I thought were gorgeous. Uh, it, it, is, uh, it, it was fun. The thing that I had the most problem with, however, the thing that torpedoes this film is our protagonist couple. Uh, and I think there are real problems, like more than quibble problems with how these two people were written in a way that makes it very hard to establish any sense of empathy with them. And that deeply hurts the film. I Okay, so I, I think that that's a point that's uh, going to be an interesting one to talk about because they're, I found them to be pretty interesting characters, especially Karen. She has this backstory that seems pretty, like there's more to her backstory than we ever hear. And we hear some interesting bits, like when she's applying to try to get to Argentina and she's kind of talking through kind of all the, the journey that she went through and, you know, being chased by the Germans and all this sort of stuff. It's like, oh, there's a really interesting story in that journey that she already takes right there that I think would be its own interesting film. And then she she meets uh, she meets this guy who, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of interest there. But what there is, is this uh, this kind of um escape that she finds with uh, with Antonio and she goes with him and marries him and goes to this island that he promises is this great place and it's not it is like the last place you'd ever want to go and so i i really enjoyed her character i thought she was really interesting and watching her kind of come to terms with it and fight against it and uh, and look for other avenues of entertainment everything that was going on and eventually kind of try to escape it i found to be extremely exciting uh, i and so for me i kind of i can see where you're coming from with your point about these two characters but at the same time i actually found them to be the kind of the the center of the film and while i didn't always I was frustrated by the fact that she still kind of told herself she loved him. That felt kind of very 50s to me. You know, they, they'd they hardly known each other, but she's like, well, I still love him. I'm like, do you really? Because mm -hmm. there's not a lot to love. You know, you guys hardly know each other. Um, um, but uh, but I still found it to be a really compelling 
uh, journey watching these two, and this is particularly her. I found Ingrid Berman to be just really captivating in this film. Wow, I, that is that is where we uh, we part ways. I I found her deeply troubling. I, there were things that I really I liked the tease in the very beginning of the film uh, where we see them at the fence, and I loved that whole experience of having the the you know the men and the women at the fence, and uh, the, the I, I didn't quite understand the mechanics of her getting out with him. That that you know was he he was I guess not a displaced person. Uh, no, he's a, he's one of the Italian soldiers. He's he's one of the Italian soldiers, so he was able. So she's to, allowed to leave because she's married. Because she's married to him, uh, I, I really like the the part that it, at the very beginning when we when we get that tease, as you mentioned, in their sort of their meeting, the the bureaucratic meeting that that she's faced with a choice. Like if she got her ticket to Argentina, that would have been her out, and she was sort of playing him uh, to keep him on the line in case she didn't get her you know, ticket to Argentina so that she could follow through with the marriage. I love those little moments together when they were kind of using each other's hand signals to, to kind of, to communicate with one another. I thought that was super cute. Like it was a, it was a great way to start. Um, And I I think for this relationship to have worked, uh, I I would have needed more of her uh, not being so such a, a hateful prima donna from the moment she set foot on the the island, right? I would love this movie if her character was somebody who was genuinely challenged in ways that she was forced to overcome something, and I also liked her. And we saw some narrative arc, some narrative change from the beginning of the film to the end. Like, I get she could have been, you know, oh, this this island is beneath me, but learns to to kind of, you know, adapt to the experience. And we see some sort of change through her adapting to the island. That would have been rewarding. Um, had there been some sort of a better case made that she actually found God, uh, you know, I by the end of the movie, that would have made a better case for her experience with these deeply religious people um you know there's so many things that that i think would have helped to make a better case but in the end she outs herself as a grubbing socialite and that the island is beneath her to the very end and he's an ass and an abuser and uh, so because i don't like either of these people i don't care what happens to them and i don't believe that they have the will to change at the end I yeah okay I I think that that's an interesting point I I think that the this is we're entering this kind of place of cinematic storytelling where we have a story and there's there are elements to the story that I think aren't necessarily working in uh, in favor of just the story itself. They are there because it's, you know, the, the filmmaker is trying to say something. Truly. And in this particular case, I think that it fits. And I think that Ingrid Bergman's character of Karen, her journey really is this, this character who's, who's kind of, you know, she, she's never found that God has been merciful to her. I mean, she says earlier on the film with me, God has never been merciful. And so, uh, she she goes through this journey almost like um making herself uh, and this is why i find her to be really interesting because she she's kind of making herself miserable and she's looking yes. at every opportunity as something that is um it, it's not what she deserves 
that's why I find her such an interesting character because because she isn't uh, she's not looking at stuff in a way where she's trying to find you know a way through it and and granted I I, I do feel like a lot of sympathy for her character because she's really kind of brought to this island by uh, I don't want to say nefarious means but Antonio certainly has a vi- a vision of what this island is that does not exactly live up to anyone else in the world as far as what their expectations are when he describes it because. It's his home. It's what he knows and thinks of as this magical place. Well, but I also think that's just, here, a, just a little bit unfair to Antonio because I also think his memory of the place is pre-war. Yes, yeah, certainly. He hasn't been back in a while. He's been off serving. And so by the time he comes home, and we hear this from the priest, you know, how all these people have left and these people have left. And I mean, even when they arrive, she's just like, it's a ghost island because nobody is here. There are so few people left on the island. Uh, I'll get into some island um, statistics here in a little bit. But but specifically focusing on Bergman still, it's she's a really interesting character. And that's why I think that the journey at the end even though I don't necessarily feel it works for me and I would like to have seen the ending and kind of work out a little more in one way or another, she basically is at this place where she's kind of like in this, uh, you know, prehistoric earth almost. It's almost like she's she's pre-Adam and Eve. She's almost like this, this earth is being formed place where she's having this conversation with God. And she's basically pleading for his for him at this point and saying, I you know, this I can't remember what she's saying, but everything that she's saying, it's like she's finally accepting her place and saying, you know, it's not necessarily about me and all of this sort of stuff. And and so I found that she does have a really interesting journey over the course of this film. It wasn't necessarily a journey I was thrilled with, but I I saw exactly what Rosalina was trying to do there. And I found it to be really compelling and and uh, an interesting one. But but don't you think, I mean, well, I, I, I get it. I don't, I just don't buy the case that by the time she gets to the point where she walks with her little suitcase up a volcano that she is actually she's actually capable of of the sort of transformation that you're describing and i think that's the unsatisfying part to me that i am all about having the gritty experience and being the person who is not um you know who is who is making themselves miserable and that exploration that sort of post-war exploration that in in many respects her experience there is marked by her pre-war experience just as antonio's is right they're on a parallel journey her experience and expectation of getting to the island is getting to an island that is adorned like her life was before she you know ended up you you know, in this series of camps and, and the story that she tells is believable as that may be. And, and there is some question, I should say, in the narrative about just how you know nobody seems to trust her story um, that, that she tells. And, and that, so I'm, I'm not saying that because I don't believe her performance, just that that the narrative indicates there's reason not to trust her. But we believe that she is is some sort of a manipulator in the beginning of the film. She gets herself to this island. She makes herself miserable and then she's on a volcano, right? She's just walking up the volcano and there's daylight on the mountain and she looks terrific. And the thing is, I don't believe she actually has the courage, right? I never really did. I I believe she's afraid and I don't believe she's ultimately going to make it, whatever that looks like. What's more, I think I really believe that she doesn't deserve to make it. And that's not a satisfying way to end a film. 
Well, you know she's not trying to get to the top of the volcano. Like, that's not her goal, right? No, no, no. Of course, she's trying to get to the other side and get off, get to that little village. You're just village. making it sound like she's going up that volcano and she's going to jump in. But like, there's I an, know, an the enormous way were... symbolic, like, transformative experience of walking up the mountain, right? That's a religious symbolic image that we can't really, you know, ignore. I just want to, I want it known I yeah, get no, that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just saying there's more to it than that. She's not just climbing a volcano to climb a volcano. There's a, a village on the other side of the island, and she's trying to get to that they village. They have motorboats. So that she can get in a boat and get off this crazy yes. place. Right. Yeah. Right. What I, and, and, and this is where I end up finding my struggles with this film, because I enjoy this journey that she goes through, but I end up finding her character's transformation um, one incomplete because we never quite get through it. She's it's basically like her conversation with God, and it's like her, you know, kind of you know obeisance, throwing herself down, saying, you know, you know, forgive me, take me, sort of thing. Um, but we never get anything past that. That's kind of where we leave off, and it's very sudden. And it, you know, it's like the last few minutes of the movie, and so she drops all of her stuff, like she can't carry her stuff through the smoke, and so she drops everything. And I think that's obviously symbolic. She's leaving all of her things behind. And and then she gets to this place. But it's all so fast. And so that's that's my frustration with the film, is I think that she has an interesting journey. Unfortunately, I think it's like it's it it all takes that big turn right there in the last couple minutes of the movie. And then we're cut off so quickly from kind of moving on past that. And I just feel like that's what didn't work for me as much. And so I get your point, but that's kind of the way that I'm coming at it. Well, and I think actually we're coming at it in very similar ways, right? Like I, here we are, um, you know, the statement, the filmmakers making the statement that they're trying to defend her discovery of beauty in the morning light is somehow redemptive of the last hour and 40 minutes we spend with her. And for me, I don't buy it. It was too fast. Her decision to keep going is based on her assertion that all of these poor people in this village are horrible people. But the movie never makes the case that they're all that bad. And and so even as she sort of realizes in the last moments of the film that she wasn't all that great either, I just don't think it earns the giant symbolic ending of the movie that they want us to have. And I wanted to have it. I wanted to have something that felt like I was getting a transformation from her. But she wasn't likable in the beginning. Beginning, and I didn't believe that there was any transformation at the end, and that made it just a challenge to watch. But see, that's I, I found her really likable in the beginning. So I find that you your finding of her not likable in the beginning kind of just strange for me. Like I really connected with her in the beginning. I enjoyed her struggle, and then when she got to the island, I was right there with her, saying I wouldn't live her either. Oh yeah, no, in my notes you. I said that too. I was like, yeah, I would start a plot to get off that island the moment my foot hit the dirt too. Like, <laughs> of course. But I mean, even but before that, I so you didn't like her from the beginning because I I really liked her all the way through. Uh, well, okay, the, now let's almost uh, the majority of the film. I want to unpack that. What does it mean that I I didn't like her? I feel like the movie was setting me up to not trust her. From where? At what point? Well, the very first thing we get is uh, we learn about her is that she is manipulating Antonio as an alternative to her ticket out to Argentina without him. 
Like she's keeping him as a backup plan. So we know that she is already a person who is willing to marry under some sort of fraudulent circumstance, emotional circumstances. I end up having very little problem with that because of the time and place that we're in. This is a place where these people are in internment camps and they're looking for any opportunities to find a way to get out. So I have a hard like if if she was like a, the rare person who is actually manipulating to do this, I would have a bigger issue. But it's like this is this is kind of almost the norm at the time. Like people are like, you know, take me out. I need to get out of this. So I have zero problem with that. Right. Okay. So I'll, I'll grant you that. That's context is everything. I, I grant you that. But then we go into the meeting and the introduction we get of her case with the gentleman around the the table. Uh, the way they set it up is we don't trust her. You know, we're not going to tell you specifically why we don't trust her, but her story is nuts. She's a liar and a cheat. And so just get ready for this. And then she comes in to tell us a story. Now, to me, that is a, a bit of audience manipulation that is asking me to question the credibility of this person or the bureaucracy at hand. Okay. One of them is is not a a, a faithful actor in this scenario. I feel like that's a tool that they're using there. So I think it's a fair assessment to come out of this experience saying maybe she's not everything that they that that we're supposed to believe she is just because her hair is the most brushed. Well, okay, just step back for a second. Were you watching just so I know the the English language version or the Italian dubbed version? No, no, no. It was it was the English English one. Okay, it was the Amazon, sure it was the one I could rent on Amazon. But because Criterion has the English and the Italian versions, so I just don't know which yeah. versions are and out I, there. I'm assuming you you watch the Italian version on Criterion. No, I watched the English version, okay. but then I started watching the Italian. I just didn't make it through. Okay. The reason I'm asking is because there it's an interesting film the way that it's subtitled because there are elements, um, particularly uh, when they're more important conversations that are subtitled. And then there are a lot of conversations generally when it's like uh, a different language and we're not necessarily meant to understand it because she doesn't understand it that aren't subtitled. And I found that there were certain conversations, and this is something I noticed when I was watching the Italian version, a lot more stuff was subtitled in the Italian version mm -hmm. than when I was watching the American version. Like when she was initially having her conversations with Antonio around the fence, and he would keep breaking into Sicilian, and um, and, and she's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Um Everything was subtitled in the Italian version, but in, in the English version, when he would do that, nothing was subtitled. We didn't understand it. She didn't understand it, and she would react, and then he would try to speak right, broken okay. English. Yeah, interesting. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's why I'm asking because uh, my recollection of that scene when they're uh, when they're talking uh, the the government officials about her uh, getting her paperwork to go to Argentina. My recollection is that there was a lot of foreign language speaking that wasn't subtitled and that basically they her, their reaction to her story was there's just not enough here for us to grant you this pass. Like that's my recollection with it. I never felt like they were saying we don't believe you or anything well, like this that. Was like before, I found her story. It, it was before she enters. It's before they call her in. There is a conversation where they're all that one of the gentlemen is introducing her case to the rest of the table. And there is a very specific conversation where he says get Essentially, get ready for this. Um, and, and then she comes in and just have the conversation that you describe. 
Okay. Okay. I, I guess I don't remember that. So yeah. because I don't remember that, I <laughs> buying into her story and, just, and and going along with it a lot more uh, readily. But um, yeah, so that's interesting. How well one it, little it, scene? Yeah. I mean, uh, well, I just feel like those are the little drips that that continue to to sort of support me not trusting her in in spite of my feelings about Ingrid Bergman and. You know, I, I, there there is something about this, you know, that we have this whole situation where she is, um, you know, she just is who she is. And I've gotten to know her over the last couple of movies that we've talked about with her where I generally like her. Um, and and so I, I feel like I wanted to to like her. But as soon as she starts outing herself as the one who where where this island is beneath her and I find out what's now now it's not that I, it's not only that I don't trust her, it's that it's beneath her. She just has a very steep hill to climb for me as a member of the audience. Uh, and and literally, I, literally, yes, a fiery <laughs> steep hill to climb. And uh, so that that's all. I mean, I don't want to belabor it too much more than that, because I, I you get the point. And um, well, I will say she does try to, like, come on to the priest, which was I was like, really, is you're going to really yeah. do that? And, that and was, the lighthouse that, guy that for me. Right. Well, the lighthouse guy, that one. I I didn't think that they were like when they were looking at the octopus. I just thought they were being friendly and and having a good time. I didn't think there was Apparently much that more was a bigger to it than deal. that. Yeah. Well, to everyone in no, town, I was it with you. Was. I I with you on that. Like I didn't think that there yeah. was that big of a deal until they told me it was a bigger deal. But that's because the people in town see bigger deals in every little thing like that. And that's why towns like this make me crazy because you, like this woman who everybody says, oh, she's a bad woman who has a sewing machine and stuff. Yeah, that was a I, riot. Like, I almost don't believe that anybody in, that she's really a bad woman. I think she probably like, you know, kissed somebody once and now everybody thinks yeah, she's like the town slut. Truly. It's it's like one of these things where it's just like I don't buy into it. I think that it just it's it makes it for a. a challenging uh element of the story but i don't put it past them for kind of acting this way and so i it's it's an interesting and frustrating element of the town and i think it works uh in in and against her favor in that particular case where she is just you know looking at an octopus with this guy and everybody assumes the worst and then her husband comes home and hears about it and beats her <laughs> Octopuses are very sexy in their defense. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, so moving on from her, though, what did you think of the environment of Stromboli? And this gets us into some of the Italian realism, right? The, or neorealism that, that I know you're just hankering to talk about. I'm oh, sure. I hanker. You I hanker, hanker hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Italian neorealism... It's in. I, I haven't seen many films that are, are part of this whole movement, but Bicycle Thieves is a big one. Uh, Rome, Open City, another Rossellini film. Those are two big ones that I have seen. It's. I mean, really, this was a very kind of post World War II. Um, no more Mussolini. The Italian film industry is trying to find its uh, kind of find its direction again. And because of kind of the way that the world, the war ended and just you know, Italy was kind of uh, in a rough, rough patch, the not to mention the fact that the studios had been damaged, 
And so they were like, well, let's go film on the streets. Let's yeah. use real people. And it created this sense of, of the real people, the working class, the poor, non, uh, out on locations, non-professional actors, just making these stories that felt incredibly real because of the way that they went about doing it. Uh, Rossellini was part of it. I wouldn't say that he was uh, one of the the people who really started it up, but like uh, Lucino Visconti uh, is one that uh, that comes to mind. Uh, Puccini, there are certain filmmakers who were definitely part of it. I, I, I want to say Fellini, but I think that he came in later with Rossellini. But certainly these guys made films that really kind of lent this sense of uh, kind of authentic place. And that's what I think works really incredibly. And I mean, you know, kind of a, a random uh, side thought, but you know, I there. I don't know if you've ever read Moby Dick. Moby Dick was a book that I read that really uh, struck me because of this storytelling style, where you had this story, but then you'd have like an entire chapter that was like devoted to you know how you kill a whale. Yeah, <laughs> it was right. just like it, it was is a very the Italian neorealism book. of the books. It, it totally was. <laughs> it, it was a, a beefy one and you keep going off on these random tangents just to get a sense of place. Yeah. That's something I found really gratifying in these neorealism uh these films of the neorealism movement. Certainly this film does that too. We have some some beautiful moments of fishing, uh particularly the tuna fishing sequence which is kind of shocking to see how i mean i'm just used to tuna out of cans it really i was like <laughs> mean, for, they don't my first swim thought around was are cans? tuna really that big they are <laughs> huge this is this goes to show just how contextual everything is like in my head <laughs> tuna is small because they come in little cans it's like <laughs> the way the way your brain works you know but um wow holy cow are they big fish and what a scene, like watching them do this, I thought was just fascinating. And then what I think is interesting is the way that that Rossellini ties in the story to this moment by having um, Karen come out on a boat to kind of, you know, deliver her husband lunch or whatever she's doing and end up witnessing this whole thing and just kind of the shock and horror of her experience of watching what these men are doing. Uh, it was a really interesting way to kind of play that uh, that realism. I mean, because by this point, realism, the Italian realism had, I mean, it had been around for probably seven or eight years and it was nearing its end. I know it was going to end sometime in the mid-50s. And uh, so I think that, you know, Rossellini had an opportunity to kind of play around with it a little bit by blending it into the story a little more here. Well, I think it's really important to note. I mean, what you where you started with this is that this was, it, you know, it's only a movement in hindsight, right? It's not like there sure. were a bunch of these directors who were saying, you know, we're going to intentionally go out and do this. What happened is, right, money fell out of the business because the government fell and they still wanted to make movies. And now this collection of movies that were made in this period all share these traits because out of necessity. And I think that's what makes it so interesting to revisit this film in particular, because this was, as you say, I mean, this is when things are rebuilding at this point, right? You start to see a little bit more intentionality in the in the filmmaking. And so now, you know, at this point, where are they in the budgets of movies that are being made? You know, you have to kind of, I, I don't know, I, I sort of want to put my head there uh, that, you know, as you're on the trailing end of this now 
as we refer to movement of Italian neorealism, what is it that that sticks around as an important staple of this period of Italian filmmaking? As I said in the beginning, that fishing scene is the high watermark for me of this movie. I I was in it for that. I thought it was super compelling, and uh, I was I was you know I I as you you said it like I, the way they tied her part of the story into this horror show of real life uh, on this island I, I was glued to the sequence yeah and that's what i think this neorealism style can really do is it can find something that it's just authentic real life and tell the story in a way where it's like i am it's it's so compelling i'm so drawn in right now because of the way that they're just presenting it it's just like getting a chance to really be a part of this world without having done it. It's very much a documentary style, and it works yeah. really well in context of these films. Would so, you, uh, yeah, it's do, yeah, do it's you really think? Nice. Do you think the ferret really killed the rabbit? Oh yeah. Okay. So there's this other sequence where he's he comes home and he brings home a ferret, and she's like, "Well, what's this ferret for?" And he says, "I'll show you." And he sticks the ferret on the rabbit, and people, the ferret kills the rabbit, like. Takes yeah. the rabbit and it's he is laughing and laughing and she is having real trouble with it. And this is, you know, here we it's it's less of the documentary style, but the documentary event of the killing of the rabbit on film that is shocking. And it I, I think they're using that as a tool to make him out as more of a monster, somebody who is easier for her to escape. Well, and it certainly is something that that filmmakers will use. I mean, weirdly, I just watched this on the heels of uh, Wake and Fright, an Australian film mm. in which in the middle of it, there's a kangaroo hunting scene with real footage of kangaroo hunting. Yeah. And it was really hard to watch, like much harder to watch than the ferret killing the rabbit. Yeah. It was just horrifying. Unless you've been punched do. by a kangaroo, it, you really don't want them to be murdered. <laughs> have, I, have I told you my kangaroo story? No, do tell. I, this I feel like this is going to be the Italian Realism of our I podcast. I feel like Stromboli is not the place to talk about kangaroo attacks. <laughs> okay, for some reason. Okay, <laughs> we'll have to save that for a, a movie involving more kangaroos. You got but it. anyway, <laughs> we'll just leave <laughs> leave listeners uh, uh, taunted with that bit of information. Have about you ever my been attacked by a tuna? That would actually we'd be okay with that. <laughs> then I could. Yeah. Then I would tell you that story. The uh, but it certainly is a filmmaking tool that I think. Th I don't know. It's an odd thing to uh, end up using in films, but you look at stuff like uh, what Sam Peckinpah would do, and I mean, he certainly would do things where you have animals kind of getting, you know, attacking each other, where these, you know, these kids drop a, what is it, a scorpion in an ant pile and watch all the ants kill the scorpion. And, and it, you know, it's it's something that marks kind of the mentality of the characters and just kind of the the way that these worlds operate. And I think it's a really interesting tool, albeit horrifying, but certainly is something that I, I think that filmmakers found to be an interesting element, the whole life-death cycle and what it means and the way that people react to it. You know, I think it says a lot about Antonio about the fact that he does this just as much as it says about Karen and, and their reactions to both of them. Totally, totally. We have to talk about kind of the origins of this film. Okay. Because it's, it's an interesting way that this film came to be. 
this really all started with this letter that uh, that uh, Ingrid Bergman wrote to Rossellini. She, this was a couple years, uh, probably 1948. She wrote a letter and said, said, Dear Mr. Rossellini, I saw your films Open City and Paisan and enjoyed them very much. If you need a Swedish actress who speaks English very well, who has not forgotten her German, who is not very understandable in French, and who in Italian knows only Te Amu, I am ready to come and make a film with you. <laughs> She's writing to an Italian director and outs yes. herself as only saying two words in Italian. I love you. I love right. it. Yeah. Class so, act. That letter drew him in enough where he said, I want to work with her. So she came. Now, now we had left off with her career. At this point, she had been, uh, we had, she'd been working with Hitchcock. We already know that. We talked about a couple of Hitchcock's films and, uh, and they were wonderful. Well, one of them was, uh, more wonderful than the other. <laughs> then she went yes. and did, <laughs> she, and, and she had a couple films between them. And then she did, um, Ar- Arc de Triomphe, uh, Joan of Arc under Capricorn, uh, her last Hitchcock project. And at this point, she went over to Italy to work on this film with Rossellini. Well, as it turns out, they kind of hit it off. Now, according to Gregory Peck, she and Gregory Peck had kind of hit it off back when they were doing Spellbound. Um, she this hit is it off that, a lot. Well, she, yeah, she did. Well, Rossellini more than her. Um, according to Peck, uh, you know, this was like in the 90s. He said that, you know, they they had had a strong connection or something like that, uh, which everybody interpreted it. they actually had an affair. Um, she had been married to her husband, who I think was, was back in Europe and bouncing back and forth with uh, there and the U.S., However, when she went over to uh, to Europe to work on this with Rossellini, they really kind of clicked and ended up having an affair, and it created a huge scandal. I don't know why this of all scandals is the one that just people latched onto, but boy, did they ever. There were women's groups, and there were government officials. There were people just up in arms about this affair and just how like shocked they were by the whole thing. It's such a strange thing to me that it was react like people reacted this way to it, but because and then they had a child born out of wedlock a couple weeks before this movie premiered and uh like uh, all these people were calling for the film to be banned they actually said this was US senator uh, from Colorado Edwin C Johnson on the floor of the Senate this is the this is why politics sometimes makes no sense to me he's talking about Ingrid Bergman having had an affair on the floor in Congress and he says she is a powerful influence for evil <laughs> oh goodness yeah, I Ugh, I don't understand. Anyway, it killed this killed her Hollywood career for uh for years actually. It wasn't until 1956 with uh Anastasia when she actually was kind of welcomed back into the fold in Hollywood. But uh yeah, it was a rough it was a rough spell for her because of this film and the affair she ended up having. In fact, she only ended up really working on projects in Europe until Anastasia in 1956. As I said, when we were doing Notorious, she wasn't going to have another Hollywood hit for 10 years. Hmm. That's why. The the curse of the spotlight on 
Ingrid. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, I mean, they they're only going to have a relationship through fifty seven. Um, I mean, because they'll get married, they're going to have a son um, out of wedlock, as I mentioned, uh, Robin, and then Isabella Rossellini and her twin sister Ingrid um, are born a few years later. Um, um, Ingrid Bergman works on five films with uh, Rossellini. And then in 1957, the Indian Prime Minister uh, Nehru invites him to come over there and do a, uh, a documentary about the country. And he has an affair with a screenwriter over there and leads to basically the same sort of scandal. And he ha- he's asked to leave the country. And that's what causes him and Bergman to end up separating. Hmm. So, uh, you know, and then he, you know, he just, he continues like down that road until his death. He's not a very faithful sort of fellow. He's such an Antonio. <laughs> but he makes interesting films. He makes, yeah. I, I like the, I do enjoy the neorealism a movement, and I think there are some really interesting films to look at in it. You know, I'll tell you if anything. I just on this, uh, some of these stronger sequences alone. I, I, I am interested in watching more of his movies. I think there might be, uh, there might just be room for a little uh, series coming up sometime. Well, what's what's interesting? Not that you necessarily might want to continue this particular series, but they do call this the uh, the what is it called? Like the Journey series or the Traveling series, the trilogy. This film is a part of it, and then he has another. Uh, trilogy that that um, he has with uh, Open City, and I think Germany Year Zero is in that one. Um, so he's got a couple different uh, kind of trios of films that are kind of viewed as unofficial trilogies. So yeah, I'd certainly be down for looking at more of his stuff. Yeah. So we're done talking about him. I want to talk a little bit about Stromboli, Stromboli. Uh, like the place. because I the place. Okay. I think that it's interesting that they chose to film here. And this is something that I know that, and it fits with the neorealism style, but he wanted to film on this island because of just the look and everything. This island had almost no electricity. The volcano is an active volcano that erupts. I mean, it does continue erupting just constantly. It has been erupting continuously for the past 2,000 years. And it made it very difficult to film in. And I just, I, I, I wonder why. Obviously, it gives a really interesting look to the film and, and to the story and everything. But geez, it's just a crazy place to go make a movie. I don't know why he felt, I mean, this is just reading from Wikipedia. Mount Strom- Stromboli has been in almost continuous eruption for the past 2,000 years. A pattern of eruption is maintained in which explosions occur at the summit craters with mild to moderate eruptions of incandescent volcano bombs <laughs> at intervals ranging from minutes to hours. <laughs> eruptions from the summit craters uh, typically result in a few short, mild, but energetic bursts ranging up to a few hundred meters in height containing ash, incandescent lava fragments, and stone blocks. Stromboli's activity is almost exclusively explosive, but lava flows do occur at times when volcanic activity is high. An effusive eruption occurred in 2002, the first in 17 years, and again in 2003, 2007, and 2013 and 14. It's like, it's crazy. And there are two villages, San Bartolo and San Vincenzo, on the northeast side of this island, and Ginostra on the southwest side of this island. What are these people doing here? It's crazy to me. 
That it says that in the bananas. early 1900s, a few thousand people inhabited the island, but after semil- several immigrations, the population numbered a few hundred by the mid-1950s, and that's when this film is pretty much taking place. So, um, yeah, I guess it speaks a lot to the fact that uh, this whole place was kind of, kind of, uh, you know, kind of disappearing. The the whole society was dying. And just in, just a side note, Pete, J.R.R. Tolkien said that this volcano inspired Mount Doom in Mordor. You you would think, you would think, I, I don't know, I, I guess I should assume that maybe um, Rossellini had read Tolkien's stuff yet. When was it, when did it, was it released? Does he have, would he have had time? Um, let's see, Lord of the Rings was released in 37. Yeah, yeah, right? he had plenty of yeah. time. He should have, he should have yeah. known. He should have known that this is Mount Doom. You don't want to do set this. Don't film That's on Mount very Doom. telling. It's very telling. Yeah. You should have known. Uh, so what is the population today? The population today, let me see if I oh, can find... it looks find... like it's about 500. The island's population yeah. is about 500 today. That is... It's 500 more than it should be. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. This is for a great island for Strombley, pictures. We apologize. Yeah, we do. We're going to see a massive a boom in our Stromboli uh-huh. downloads. Yeah, uh, and then a, a drop in subscriptions. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're out. <laughs> Just another weird little bit of Hollywood weirdness to prove that Hollywood loves to do this. When there's a, a film that's getting made and somebody else, uh, you know, has a similar story, they're going to push and Hollywood's going to release them both at the same time. Because, hey, why not? When you can have Armageddon, you can also have a deep impact. They're just always going to do this. Mm-hmm. There was another, so a very similar story. In fact, the actress, uh, I think it was Anna uh, Mangjani. Is that how you say her last name? I'm not Anna exactly Mangiani. sure. Yeah, you say it much better than I do. She was cast as the leading actress originally, but I guess because of this whole thing with Ingrid Bergman coming in to, uh, you know, sending this letter to Rossellini and all this sort of stuff, she, uh, Anna Magnani, I'm sorry, Anna, uh, she uh, ended up not getting to be in the film. However, the original company that was making the film they said, well, we're going to keep the plot and make our own movie called Volcano. We're going to shoot it at the same time and almost the same place as your movie. And so William Dieterle directed the movie Volcano. They came out the same year with Anna Magnani <laughs> starring in it. <laughs> it was filmed on the Selena Island instead of uh, Stromboli. But it's almost the same story, apparently. So just a random little tidbit that I think is kind of an interesting little side note in this project. How And, and what is today's population of Selena Island? How do you spell it? <laughs> Selena Island, let's see. It is uh, one of the, it's the second largest island in the Aeolian Island archipelago. And its population right now is about 4,000. There so we go. much bigger. We see how this bigger. worked out. They all used to live on Stromboli. Actually, yeah, they saw the movie and were like, "We're done." <laughs> they all they all went over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How to do an award season? It wasn't a big award movie, Pete. This was really? not. I know. <laughs> I know you're shocked and disappointed in that. 
But no, alas, this was not. This film only had uh, two wins and one other nomination. At the Bambi Awards, which we talked about last week, I believe, uh, Ingrid Bergman won. She won. It was a kind of a, one of those co, co-film awards where she won for this and under Capricorn. Um, the Italian National Syndicate of Film Journalists, Ingrid Bergman won the Silver Ribbon for Best Foreign Actress in an Italian Film. And then over at the Venice Film Festival, Rossellini was nominated for a Golden Lion, but unfortunately lost to Justice Is Done. Now, strangely enough, I, and I don't really know what this, uh, how to take this, but over on Wikipedia, they do say that Stromboli was awarded the Rome Prize for cinema as the best film of the year. But I don't see that over on IMDb, so I'm not exactly sure what the Rome Prize is. Is that just something the, the uh, city of Rome gives out? I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, that's where we landed with that one. All right. Then did it make any money? How to do at the box office? Was it just the Strombolians who saw it? <laughs> well, Rossellini's project, this is actually interesting. Rossellini's project wasn't a big budget affair. It actually, interestingly, it was Ingrid Bergman who ended up managing to kind of get most of the money together for this film. And that's, I think, the whole reason that Anna Magnumara uh, ended up not being in it. Because Ingrid Bergman, she worked a deal out with RKO to do the distribution for this film. She talked to Howard Hughes, of all people, who got him to kind of finance the film. And so she really kind of managed to get all the money together for this. It wasn't a big budget. This was only about $900,000 to make this film, and uh, which is about $8.9 million in today's dollars. Still, you know, pretty decent for a film like this. I imagine a lot of it went to Bergman, Rossellini, and the location costs to film in a place like this. The movie was released February 15th, 1950. A perfect Valentine's Day release, Pete, wouldn't you say? Oh, this is definitely a date film. That meat cute. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, but, it, you know, okay. And now here is where I'm going to uh, have to split as far as did it make money or did it not? Initially, what I found was that it earned $3 million at the box office here in the States, $4.9 million everywhere else. That means the movie earned about $79 million and had an adjusted profit per finished minute of 655000 But then I go and I look elsewhere, and it says it was a box office bomb here in the States and that RKO lost $200,000 on the picture. So I now hit a point where I'm like, you know, I don't know. Unfortunately, these facts are all so old. You know, we're looking at information that's almost 70 years old. I'm just not able to really verify if it was a moneymaker or if it did, in fact, lose its money. But what I did find is, which I think is, I think, telling of the American people, is that because of the promotions that Howard Hughes did for this film, he played up the parallels between uh, the character Ingrid Bergman played mm-hmm. and her indiscreet behavior with the director. And uh, he ended up um, creating this kind of public uh, fervor to see this film. And apparently, at least according to an anonymous note on IMDb, which we know are always accurate, it earned nearly a million dollars on its first day because of the crazy, phenomenal public tempest that was going on. I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> and that's about it. <laughs> 
what I find is funny is Howard Hughes apparently like because this is something else RKO had the rights to the film and would not give Rossellini the right to cut the U.S. cut. And so they cut it and it created this huge lawsuit between the two because he didn't think that their cut was representative of the script and all this sort of stuff. And apparently Howard Hughes was involved in the editing. I don't know how or why. Obviously, it was his money, but still, he wouldn't show it to Rossellini and Ah, who knows? It's just, it's a crazy thing. But, you know, when a movie gets banned in cities in the Roman Catholic Church, uh, according to um, this note again, Roman Catholic churches urge their priests not to see it, you know it's probably going to end up making some money because it creates a lot of curiosity. Terrific marketing there, church. Terrific. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Andy. Well, that, uh, then, then I'll call this, uh, I'll call this done. And I think it's time for us to... Take the Stromboli out of the oven. We're going to take the Stromboli out of the oven. Who knows what we're going to get? And let us commence the ranking. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can see all the movies that Andy and I have ranked on this show over the years. Uh, If you swipe over in your show notes and you tap the word flickchart in the links and notes section there, that should take you directly to this movie where you can add it to your own list and see how it stacks up against ours. First up, Bergman on Bergman, Stromboli or Spellbound. I'm going to take Stromboli. Really? It's a, it's it's an interesting one. I would rate Spellbound with fewer stars, but a heart. Stromboli, I would give more stars, but not necessarily a heart. And and because of that, I feel like I'm going to vote for it because I feel like there's an interesting strength to the film that I would get more from on later watches. Wow. I don't know I'm not what saying I'm right. I don't know what to do about this. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm definitely going for spellbound and that's telling. Yeah, it uh, is. Uh okay. Well, here we go. Right out of the All gate. Right. One, One, two, two three, three, scissors. 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 Ugh, for crying out loud. You have really <laughs> leveled up your RPS game. Apparently since so. 2001. Are you training? I had to learn. I I ha- I am. <laughs> I I'm, I've been are. in training ever since. You're ever since I let the people down. You let the people down. <laughs> oh, for crying out loud. Okay. Stromboli or Seven Samurai. I will take Seven, Seven Samurai. Seven Samurai. Thank God. Stromboli or Mother. I mother. will take Mother. Mm-hmm. Stromboli or Sweeney Todd, the demon barber of Fleet Street. I love some Sweeney. I do too. Stromboli or Creep Show. Absolutely Creep Show. Stromboli or The Road Warrior. Definitely Road Warrior. Warrior. Stromboli or Star Trek Beyond. I will take me some Star Trek. Star Trek. Stromboli or The Lion in Winter. I will go with Lion Lion in Winter. Winter. Stromboli or A Star is Born 1937. Star is Born. Star is Born for me too. Well, that puts... This is going to be something, this is interesting. We're going to have a, a, a block right in the middle now, yeah. Stromboli and Spellbound, smack tab <laughs> next to each other in the middle of our chart. So it'll be one or the other that's going to be pushing uh, pushing wow. films one or the other. Yeah, yeah. so 204 out of 407. Well, so that's, uh, it landed right at the 50% mark on our chart. Well, that's too high. And I... <laughs> 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 I'm very uh, curious, as you've already said, you use the word stars, plural, when referring to this movie. So uh, what, pray tell, where are you going to take your stars from? What films are you robbing those stars to give to this thing? 
you say that with such disdain. Oh, there's yeah, we disdain. We talked about it, and you're like, <laughs> I liked this a lot more than you're saying that I probably did. <laughs> but now I'm saying, I really hated this movie. You and your why impressions you are turned into really Rocky. I don't know. spot on tonight. I don't know. What's hap- <laughs> that sounds exactly like me. Hey, it's better I'm, than that Kermit version of me you did. I am the worst. <laughs> At least you're a, a charming, uh, a, a charming uh, beloved puppet character. <laughs> For this film, I am giving it three and a half stars, but what? I'm not giving it. I'm not giving it a heart. Yeah, what? I find this a really compelling film. I just, it's not something that I would say I like. It's not something I'd say I, I'm going to return to. But I found it to be very compelling and certainly <laughs> something I would watch again. Wow. Okay. All right. I see what we're doing here. I uh, then I okay, where I ranked it if it, on Flickchart where it showed up was not great. Uh, it did one of those things where all the stars are white. Uh, so it's oh, makes you think that it, no, it's a 1,054 out of 1,090 on my flick chart, which should, it's a three out of 103%. It should be, uh, zero stars elsewhere. And I'm not going to do that. I think there were things that, that were interesting in this film. I, though, I really struggle with the relationship of Stromboli to, to Spellbound, um, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't like Spellbound all that much. This one technically should be uh, below it. Uh, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'll end up with a two star on this one. Not a heart. I'm not coming back to it, but I'm curious and I want to explore more and look forward to those being better to my eye. How about that? <laughs> well, I will say I, um, I, I did find this compelling like I said, it's it's a it's a tougher film to watch, but it's something that I took something from, and that's something I appreciate with uh, with filmmakers yeah. like Rossellini. And I mean, the discs that the package that I rented from the library, it's Stromboli, Europe fifty one, and A Journey to Italy. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was torn initially when I picked it up. I'm like, I'll probably just watch Stromboli, and now I'm like. I think I'm going to watch those other two. Totally I think that there's those, yeah. there's interesting stuff going on here. And if I get a chance to watch them before we talk about our next movie, I will just so I can kind of uh, contextualize everything before we jump into our next uh, film, which I'm teasing right now. What could it be, Pete? I, I don't know. I, I really, really don't remember. What are we doing next? <laughs> no, that's, just, that's legit. I honestly have no idea. I honestly have we, no idea. <laughs> Our next film, it's going to be an interesting one to look at again. This is Murder on the Orient Express. Oh, right. The yeah, no, original I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, because we did talk about the remake on the film board yeah. when it came out a couple years ago. This is the 1974 version with that Sidney Lumet directed. It's going to be an interesting journey to kind of dig into this. Albert Finney, Lauren Bacall, Martin Balsam, of course, Ingrid Bergman. Uh, just, I mean, like the modern one it is full of characters that are and and actors that are just big names it's going to be an exciting one to to look at and revisit so um, yeah it'll be another uh, second to last this is the penultimate step in our ingrid bergman exploration on this series excellent 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 next week murder on the order this is (laughs) this is one i don't feel i feel like i don't have to be surprised by i'm excited about this yeah, you won't be surprised. It'll be. Good. I do. I know how it ends, Andy. <laughs> well, if you want to hear more of us, but you can't wait until next week's show, check out our other show, The Marvel Movie Minute. 
We are talking about the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time, starting with 2008's Iron Man. You can support that show and all of our shows over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. And you can also get access to our exclusive members-only weekend show, The Saturday Matinee. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Amazon giveth, Andrew. As Amazon kind of didith. I think it's safe to say Amazon didn'teth. Not a lot of on this one. There are nine total reviews. The spread was, I don't know, not great. I challenge everyone who listens to this show after having watched the movie, leave an Amazon review and then send us the link. Yes. We need more. We need more Amazon, even Amazon if you don't like more. it. Yes. <laughs> Please. It doesn't matter if you like it or don't no, like it. We just need cares. more reviews. Believe me. We want more reviews. If we've learned anything about our exploration of Amazon reviews, nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, Pete and I are reading each other's reviews. <laughs> uh, I actually, as the low star rater this time around, I'm going with a five star. Uh, and we're going to work Ooh. down from there. Ooh, what was that sound? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm thrill. doing it wrong all of a sudden. Ooh, exciting. Ooh. Ahoy, Paloy. Uh, <laughs> uh, five star from Amazon customer saying, this is a spiritual film. Stromboli is one of my favorite films. It contains many themes. Love, rootlessness, acceptance of one's fate, the power of nature, man-woman's relationship to God, the universe. The whole film is situated in a very gritty post-war reality. I found this movie in its own quiet, understated way, a very spiritual film. I loved the ending. Great. Watch this on VHS tape. I wonder if that sort of uh, added to the visceral <laughs> nature grittiness. yes the grittiness it just seemed great it was really just the vhs it was so gritty Tape and the fuzz. lines those tracking lines <laughs> they were they warmed me well i have a one star because i went uh i went low by this is funny it's great cook and i i don't know if this should be telling for the types of reviews i should be expecting from said <laughs> great cook great cook is listed as a top contributor in coloring <laughs> let me just say that again pete Coloring. <laughs> Great Cook says one star, horrid, depressing film. I only watched this to see Ingrid Bergman, but even she couldn't make it worth the grueling torture and boredom of this very dull, occasionally disturbing film. You can tell at points that the director was trying to say something, but it all fell flat. The version I watched on Prime Video was also not well-preserved or crisp, as it may be on DVD. I noticed no startling dramatic scenery, as another reviewer described the setting. It was sparse and isolated and very dull. I truly love great old films, but this is not one of them. They say Ingrid Bergman was box office poison after this movie because of the love affair and resulting child with the already married director. But I think the love affair was simply used 
I'm emphasizing all of these are the quotes because that's how they <laughs> I was gonna wrote say, it. Are you but reading think, in italics right now? This is amazing. <laughs> but I think the love affair was simply used to cover up the fact that the movie was poison. Ingrid Bergman was not good in this, but that was primarily the fault of the writing, directing, and editing, not her. Worst movie I have ever seen that I expected to find merit in. Wow. I like that note at the end there. It's not the worst movie they have ever seen, but at least <laughs> I'm really the worst they were expecting. The gap, my expectation gap. That's what I'm ranking right now. <laughs> this is a I feel like gap. <laughs> also, I, I couldn't the... <laughs> print this movie out so that I could color it. So that I could color it, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if that's the merit, you know. Yes. I needed to be able to print it and I... color it. <laughs> The lava needs to be red. I broke my TV because I colored on the screen. Amazon, <laughs> please fix. <laughs> <sighs> Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today. <laughs> <laughs>